if my calculations are correct, this is Monday, 27th of February, 2023, and you are about to hear some seriously geeky shit. Welcome to episode one of a brand new podcast series, Back to the Pictures, the movie review podcast by three university friends taking you on an adventure through time and space. Not to be confused with the popular Einstein theory, rather we're discussing an era in our lives where we had an abundance of time and space. The three of us lived together, studied together and raved together as Manchester students between 2005 and 2009, and when we couldn't be found on campus or at legendary Manchester venues such as M2, Font Bar, Subspace and Popolinos, we could be found at home watching the shit out of a ton of movies. Over a decade later, we have decided to regroup and rewatch many of the films we viewed together during those uni days and see what we make of them in our existential, cynical 30s. Follow our journey as each week we resurrect, review and reconsider motion pictures, movies, films, flicks and features from a simpler time. We are your hosts. I'm Ben. You bet your bollocks to a barn dance rose. I'm Anton. What the fuck can he get away from? Ogundimu? And I mean, what? Proper fucked, Green. (laughs) Tell me, Doctor Green, where are we going this time? The year is 2000, and the movie is Snatch. Frankie Fourfingers has a diamond the size of a fist. 86 carats. Do you know something that I've done? Jeez, it's flawless. Where? London. London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, Mary Poppins, London. What do I know about diamonds? I'm a boxing promoter. I've got a bare knuckle fight, so I want to use the pie key. Fetch your bags can't you? Ah. Uh, what? You're going to have to repeat that. Fetch your bags can't you? You what? What is a gun doing in your trousers? Protection. Protection from what? The Germans. I've got the case and give me the stone. The only man who knew the combination. You just shot. Getting heartburn. Tony, do something terrible. Where is the stone? Shut up and sit down, you big balls. So what should I play? You can call me Susan if it makes you happy. I don't care if it's Mohammed, Imard, Bruce Lee. You're going down in the fourth round. Whoops. I, I, I wrote all the characters' names down because I can't remember who the fuck yeah. it is. <laughs> I literally just got all the characters. <laughs> so bad. Right. We watched this film like every month, didn't we? Yeah. I still I, can't remember who if, the fuck it is. If not more. Yes, it's Snatch, uh, the 2000 crime comedy film written and directed by Guy Ritchie. I think that, uh, I mean, like Quentin Tarantino, Guy Ritchie's career, for better or worse, has been defined by Snatch, like Tarantino's was defined by Pulp Fiction for a while. Um, the And what is, what's crazy about Guy Ritchie is that he made his name from gangster movies. They're all, they're all drawn from a particular set of characters and styles, and you would think that that might speak to the... A writer or director's roots but no he is a well-spoken um esteemed boarding school attending chap get i mean get this right his parents divorced when he was young his dad was a serviceman and an advertising executive and he remarried to a baroness and life peer and more astonishing than that his mum also remarried to a baron yes i shit you not <laughs> That's nuts. she now has a title of a lady so 
obviously his parents together didn't have grand ambitions, but separately they were on the same page. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is brilliant. All our reviewed movies are rated U. This stands for University Standard. And seeing as students generally have lower standards than most other classes of people, viewer discretion is advised. Just, I mean, oh God, what, what, what a cast, honestly, honestly. You got, you got Brad Pitt, who, for better or for worse, I mean, we all fucking loved Mickey, the character. Yep. I'm assuming by this point he'd already fully established Fight Club and was therefore a champion. Um, Fight Club came out in 1999, and this came out in 2000. And Fight Club was very, very underwhelming at the box office at the time. It wasn't until it came out on DVD and whatnot when people started to watch it. So his, I think, you know, his claim to, and, and Ocean's Eleven was a year away. So I think his biggest film up until that point might have been Interview with the Vampire. You, you've got Benicio Del Toro, you've got Vinnie Jones, Jason Stratham, you've got St- a, a young Stephen Graham, who we now all know from Line of Duty. Mike fucking Reed, God rest his soul. Frank Butcher. Yeah. Um, and then Lenny James, another Line of Duty alumni, played Tony Gates. Uh, he was also in The Walking Dead. And Alan Ford as the show-stealing psycho gangster, Brett Top. Yeah. In, in a weird way, yeah. So here's the funny thing. Like, obviously, that's very early in Jason Statham's career. And I'm going to argue, and uh, I don't know, maybe contrary to, to something, he's, he's, a bit, he's a bit stiff in it. <laughs> but it worked. It very, very much, it was perfect for what it was needed. Okay. And I think Tommy kind of counteracted that perfectly. <laughs> I, I got to admit, admit um, Jason Stratham, he's like Hollywood's version of the streets. You know, like, dry your eyes, mate. His cool, yeah. <laughs> he, his cool Cockney charm distracts you from the fact that he's got Absol- no range. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like, he is so stiff in that film. But it works. Yeah, it's exactly what you need. He can't. He can't not be the hardest man in the room. <laughs> he's been, been bricktop. Bricktop is generally sat there throwing stuff, and he's just yeah. like looking around, making him a fucking cup of tea, like it's nothing. He just doesn't know how yeah. to not be hard. Oh, <laughs> right. Even even when he was making the tea, you're right. The face he's pulling. Absolutely, he didn't freaking turn around. <laughs> he didn't. Shut up and sit down, you big balls. Okay, well, with that in mind, let's start talking about the plot. Each week, one of us will read the plot summary uh, brought to you by the good folks over at Wikipedia who summarise films in a way that uh, I could never do so eloquently. Pull your tongue out of my arsehole, Gary. So this is the point where we warn you that moving forward, spoilers will come quicker than Cousin Arvi's trip across the Atlantic. So if you want to pause the podcast here, go watch the movie. That's cool. If you don't, let's crack on. After stealing an 86 carat 17.2 gram diamond while dressed as an ultra-Orthodox Jew during a heist in Antwerp, Frankie Fourfingers goes to London to see diamond dealer Doug the Head on behalf of New York jeweler and Jewish organized crime figure Cousin Avi. One of the other robbers advises Frankie to obtain a gun from his brother, arms dealer and ex-KGB agent Boris the Blade, then later calls Boris and encourages him to steal the diamond from Frankie before he can turn it over to Doug. Meanwhile, Cockney boxing promoter and slot machine shop owner Turkish is persuaded by crime boss 
Bricktop to pit his boxer, Gorgeous George, in a match against one of Bricktop's boxers. However, when Turkish sends his partner Tommy and Gorgeous George to purchase a caravan from a clan of Irish travellers, George gets challenged to a fistfight against traveller, bare-knuckle boxing champion Mickey O'Neill, who beats up and severely injures George. Turkish persuades Mickey to replace George in his upcoming match by agreeing to purchase a new caravan for Mickey's ma. Bricktop grudgingly accepts, but only on the condition that Mickey will throw the fight in the fourth round. We've got the opening, which is the heist, right? Yeah. So who, who is bankrolling this heist? We've got four highly skilled professional thieves, right? Frankie's the one that absconds to, uh, abscons, sorry, to London with the diamond. He intends to sell it to Ari, who I'm guessing is an angel investor, because the other three robbers need to get paid for this job, right? They may have already, technically, because only one of them ends up with the diamond at the end. And he was smart enough as well to take the bullets out of the gun when he's saying he's going to go travel. Yeah, but my question becomes, who is the benefactor? Is it RV or is RV just the person buying the diamond? Where did they get the funds to set up such an extraordinary heist? And uh, if, if this diamond is worth so much, these other three guys, I do feel sorry for them because you're saying they've probably already been paid already. It's like, it's like you producing a a piece of art and you're paid five pounds to do it and then it sells for five million you're like well well obviously they thought the same hence the <laughs> film <laughs> they, they said it as well because um four fingers is actually getting a custom suit made he's smoking a big cigar so they obviously have money they've come into money somehow or are being funded really well or, or can we talk about that, so... that before we move on that scene is freaking brilliant because I remember the first time I watched that. And you know what I'm like with detail, right? You guys know I'm like with detail. And I thought it was a mistake. I thought it was an editing mistake. But no, they literally have him in a different freaking suit every time the camera cuts back. It's, it's brilliant. It's so well done. Are you kidding? Have you not noticed? Come on now. He's not wearing trousers at the end. Mate. He's not even wearing any fucking trousers. He changes... Um, he changes in a two-minute conversation. He changes attire no less than six times. It's freaking It was so well done. And this is actually a really good uh, segue into the next scene. I think that this whole movie is trying to suggest that Turkish is an unreliable narrator. Um, Boris the Blade is uh, from Uzbekistan, but when you first see him, he's got an "I Love Moscow" cup. Um, yeah. And then cousin Avi is drinking out of a I Love New York mug, and then Doug has a Union Jack on his desk. It's like, none of this is random, and none of it is a continuity error. This is all Turkish's personification of yeah, what is happening. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. like, oh, well, that guy's... Even down to the socks. Even down to Doug's socks. His Union yeah. socks. That's pretty... I've never thought about that way at all. I've never... That's pretty, it's pretty good, actually. I quite like that. I quite like that. Oh, and can I say, this... Like, so many films do this, and we never catch it in time. They give away the ending at, within the first with the first line. Um, Turkish is sitting talking to. Um, well, they're in a room. We don't know uh, who else is in the room. It's just Tommy and Turkish. Yeah. And he says, "What do I know about diamonds?" And then we we quickly forget that he's not even involved in the diamond plot for the whole of the film. So they're pe pretty much telegraphing yeah, us that yeah, at yeah. the end he comes into contact with a diamond. With a diamond, yeah. Uh, so they're actually it's, 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 in plain daylight they're telling us uh, the ending of the film that is, that is brilliant yeah because they're literally right. in the same room at the end of the film yeah 
So many films do this, and we never we never catch it. Like Fight Club do it. The first line gives the film away. He goes, "I know this because Tyler knows this." It's not even subtle, right? Yeah, exactly. Saving Private Ryan. There's the old man approaching the grave before they go back in time. Clearly, that's Ryan, which means surprise. They save him. Yeah, yeah. Right as the diamond heist is going on. The, the robbers are looking for a 16 or 15 million pounds worth of diamond, like a single diamond, plus whatever else they got there. And they're threatening that guy to tell him where the diamond is. And they start beating up that other poor lad to make him... Yep. How many yep. licks... Have you, have you as the guy not getting hit, how many times you let them hit your friend <laughs> before bro, you give bro, up 15 bro, million pounds? Seen, we have all watched... We have, we have all watched... Um, R.I.P. Rest in peace, the legend Bernie Mac. Black people, we yeah. will sing. My man would have walked in. I'd be like, look for diamond. Here, have this one, bro. There's more in the back. Shit. Tell you what, you hit him one time. I'll give you the other ones I got there. Bro, mate. Like I would have walked in, a diamond been his feet. It's like, what's going on? I'm like, it's all good. I need to go home, okay. right? Mrs. is cooking chicken. I'm out. See you later, bro. No way. Out. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Fun, fun fact, yeah. that is the director of photography who's getting the shit kicked out of yeah. No, serious? Yeah, apparently Guy Ritchie was really pissed off with him that day. He's like, I'm going to pitch you in this fucking film. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> I'll tell you what in the film yeah. that you would probably would have never noticed. I wouldn't have noticed. Saul Campbell. This, no. no way. Really? Saul yeah. Campbell is in the film. He's a bouncer. Oh, I'd oh, love man. for him to get... <laughs> I would have. I would have fed him to the pigs. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Spurs fan. Sorry, we're gonna uh, get hate mail. Arsenal, Arsenal, and and Tottenham legend. Yeah, <laughs> Saul Campbell. It's fortuitous that this is our first review, and moving forward, we know that we're gonna be putting a lot of stock in um, how good the movie is uh, based on its villain, and the first film that we review has probably. Um, arguably the best villain in the history of cinema I'm just going to say it I, I love that they added into the film to make sure you truly hate him and that there's no no one will ever come away being like he's you know what he's alright understand where he's coming from he's a biz man so when he's standing there himself with a stick poking a dog in a cage <laughs> just to make it angry it was like just just in case anyone was going to somehow you know build a connection with this guy we just throw that scene in as well so. <laughs> There he is, isn't it? Make sure you it's truly so true. hate him. Well, <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Bricktop, Bricktop has come to Turkish, right? He wants to use Gorgeous George to fight one of his boxers. In this initial conversation, correct me if I'm wrong, there is nothing said about throwing the fight. Nah. I, and I'm so glad you mentioned that as well, because that's literally what I was thinking. Because I was like, oh, maybe that's the whole... Again, this whole control as... as he organizes the fights, he takes the money, he controls the money, and he determines who wins, so therefore he can make bets and pay off for the necessary people. I was like, okay, cool. It actually turns out it's not a case of that. It's not that case. He organizes legitimate, illegitimate fights <laughs> and just controls the money as the bookie in the background. And there's never any talk about anyone going down on any, in, in any, going down on anyone, going down <laughs> in, any, <laughs> in any round. So yeah, you're 100% right on that. Well, it, it's only after... Gorgeous George is injured, that Bricktop is, and I say this, rightfully pissed off, and now feels like Turkish owes him a favour, which he does. Absolutely. He's mustard. 
he can be Muhammad, I'm a hard Bruce Lee. <laughs> I'm not changing the fucking fire. But then why is Turkish not happy with the arrangement in the first place? I know if he rejects Bricktop, it's, you know, it's, I agree, that's bad. But he's clearly not a successful promoter. His one boxer is training in what looks like an alleyway or an abandoned building with a caravan for an office that is literally falling apart. They walk out with a bag full of cash halfway yeah. through the film. So I think he's like, I'll square away everything and then get the fuck out of this business. I think he knows. Yeah. One for one, again, I'll stay, I'll, I'll go back to it. He can't not be the hardest man in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and two, you can relate to Turkish. As in, like, if I was in that position, what would I do? That makes sense? And, and maybe it's because of the way they, paint, they paint Turkish as the, as the protagonist, but he's the one you relate to. He's a bad so you guy. you see him as the, I'm doing what I need to do to get out. Yeah, but I love that he has a code that he won't break it. Like, oh, he does underground boxing, illegal underground boxing, but he won't ever fix them. He won't cheat people. Like, Bricktop was just murdering people left, right, and center. So, I think there's another storyline that we've semi-skipped over, and and person I think is the true villain of Act One. Go on. Uh, unfortunately, he doesn't appear in any further act. It is played by an actor called Peter um, Zaskax. Uh, and he is playing, uh, let me get the name, it is Sausage Charlie. Now, Sausage Charlie <laughs> promises the fucking sausages will be cooked in two fucking minutes. And fucking two minutes later, it's like, when, where are my sausages? He's like five minutes Turkish. It's like... <laughs> he's clearly the true... That would... Instant, oh. instant angry. If someone tells you two minutes for sausages, <laughs> <laughs> and then two minutes later tells you it's another five minutes, <laughs> I. He's his name officially is Sausage Charlie. Uh, I honestly, made, I thought by Peter Zaskax. <laughs> I thought, I, I honestly thought you'd got your notes mixed up with some other notes. <laughs> <laughs> that has an entire page of writing. Uh, <laughs> brilliant. That is absolutely made sure to highlight that. Okay, so where were we? Boris gives Frankie a revolver in exchange for a favor. Frankie is to place a bet on Boris's behalf at Bricktop's bookies. Arvi, knowing Frankie has a gambling addiction, flies to London with his bodyguard Rosebud to pick up the diamond personally. Boris hires Vinny and Sol, two small-time crooks, to rob Frankie while he is at the bookies. The robbery goes awry when they crash their car into Frankie's van while trying to park, trapping Frankie inside. Sol, Vinny and their driver, Tyrone, are caught on camera and find no money at the bookies due to the bets being cancelled since Gorgeous George had to drop out, but they manage to kidnap Frankie in their escape. Sol and Vinny confront Boris afterward and demand he gives them half the cash when he sells the diamond. Boris ends up killing Frankie after Vinny says his name, accidentally revealing to Frankie that Boris betrayed him. He then leaves with the diamond. How the fuck did Arby get to London <laughs> so quickly before Frankie got to the betting shop? I was literally just about to say, that scene, right? That iconic scene, which obviously they used throughout the film, is so good. I'm willing to overlook yeah. the absolute, like, 
ridiculousness of the they, fact that he gets you. there and everyone's still wearing the same fucking clothes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They, they showed you exactly how he did it. He had a quick shot. <laughs> <laughs> Concord. Reached I like how they were specific about the fact that it was Concord, Concord though. Did you, did you notice that? Uh, that yeah. So that shit's possible. That shit is plausible. I never flew on one, did you? I've been on one, but I've not flown in one. Could, it, could, could you sense. imagine me having the money to fly? If I had the money to fly on Concord, I wouldn't be doing this fucking podcast. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Absolutely not. Um, I, I, but, I, I nah, don't know, man. Your, your family's hooked up in Luton. I mean, you're right near the airport. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. <laughs> when he first gets into London, he's like, sit down, you bald, fat fuck. <laughs> Sit down, you bald fat fuck. <laughs> uh, the, the, deject, oh, the dejected look absolutely. on his face is incredible. Yeah. And you know, he only says, uh, I don't like leaving my country, not for this, this, uh, and nice sandy beaches. <laughs> my read says, We've got sandy beaches. Well, who the fuck wants to see them? <laughs> the thing is, it's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, it's good. This is where this is kind of this is where these films start. Like, this is where it starts getting yeah. Guy Ritchie-ish. You know what I mean? Like, it's brilliant the the way they they start intertwining and all that kind of stuff. The entire time, fucking Tyrone reverses into the into the truck that has Frankie Fourfingers, <laughs> and that's that they're waiting for him, not realizing that the reason they ain't gonna find him is because he's stuck in the back of a truck <laughs> that they just parked in. It's just it's all the little things where they're just like, oh, don't move. Th- then they'll see the damage. <laughs> it's, it's so smart, though. I was like, yes, it's wow, brilliant. Who the fuck is this man, Tyrone? I know, son. He's a man with four <laughs> fingers and a briefcase. So. <laughs> now, yeah, okay, so well, then let me, let me throw a big um, question to you about this bookie's job. Was it that Soul's crew were meant to act like they were robbing the bookies when really they just needed to make it look like they were robbing the bookies because Frankie would have been in there and it would seem like a coincidence as to not arouse Frankie's suspicions. If that is so, then why the fuck does Sol have a meltdown about there only being copper coins? When Boris says there's 50 grand in it for them, the 50 grand that's in it for them isn't 50 grand to do the job. It is the fact that I want you to go do this, hold up this guy, which makes it look like a weird coincidence, and what you'll get as a side piece to that is the 50 grand that is in the bookies already. So that's, what it, that's basically what, they were, what uh, Boris Blade was saying. So in a weird way to make the pawn brokers look even petty and stupid and sillier, they didn't even have, they weren't even going to get paid the 50K. They were going to have to go there and work for the 50K themselves anyway. So what is, it, what is in it for them to be there? And look, Basically, if they wanted to go and rob the bookies, they go in and rob the bookies, right? Why are they working for Boris to um, rob Frankie and deliver a briefcase to Boris when Boris isn't doing anything for them? He's not giving them... Well, I suppose, did he give them the guns to do it? He didn't even get, did he? I don't even know. I'm it makes him. sense because he's a gun guy. I mean, it makes sense because he's a gun guy. But the the part where they're kicking off, though, when, they, when they're having to go at Boris about the money, they're disputing it with the knowledge of what Boris is actually there for. So 
we don't get a fully understanding of what they expected to come out with because they're like they already knew that there's a 15 million pound diamond involved now no so, so here's the funny thing they didn't they didn't know that because that's why they were like this is what you want take half because the whole point was he said you just get me the case I want what's in the case. Yeah. So obviously they know it's probably valuable. They didn't know it was that valuable. They just assumed they were going to get 50k, which is why Boris yeah. is just like, oh, fucking hell, they've taken out the case. So they didn't even know that was the case. I, I'm surprised you haven't brought out your bollocks expecting card, Ian, because... I have. I'm sorry. This is it. 50k for committing armed robbery, which, if caught, carries a potential life sentence, and all they're getting is just over 15k each, divided by three. Fuck off. That is not worth that job. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. That. Oh, and it was it was fifty. So the promise was fifty five zero. Yeah, What's but then divide by three. Divide by yeah, three, and they're only getting about fifteen k each. Still isn't worth it. Yeah. Still isn't worth it. The female behind the counter, she is a hundred percent right. They should know who owns this bookies. They run their operations Absolutely. in the same area. How do they think Absolutely. they're going to get away with this? Absolutely. Yeah. She she was brilliant. No, 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 but all bets are off. <laughs> Do I look like I'm here to here. make a fucking bet? <laughs> a oh, appreciated. Um, quick, uh, quick trivia fact. Uh, that actress's name was Sydney Sedan, and this was her one and only movie appearance. Get out. Uh, Never acted before or since. What? She was brilliant. Yeah, I don't need. Yeah, no, no one knows anything about her. That's nuts. Mm. That's absolutely nuts. I don't. I. Jeez. She could could have been anyone. Maybe she didn't yeah. even know that she was being filmed as part of. The f <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's 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 just Sydney all yeah. day. Our friends are just watching that being like, it. that's just Sid all day. <laughs> we call her Sid Vicious. Sid Vicious. <laughs> absolutely. She had that huge shotgun in her face. Like. Mm -hmm. She's okay. no sold it like it weren't fuck all. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love I, that, everything. Everything about that. Even when you first read it, I've got a gun. He brings it. That's a fucking anti-aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> One small yet huge piece of bollocks goes on. Okay. In this scene. Absolutely. I want to hear that. I want to see that bollocks. Me. That bollocks. Massively. Card. Go. Okay. So. The scene we see with Boris speaking to um, Vinny and Sol, uh, where they're talking about the bookies being empty. Uh, Frankie Four Fingers is tied up in the back with his head covered up with a, a, a tea cosy, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're discussing not getting paid enough money. Vinny holds up the actual fucking diamond in the air in front of all of them. Is like, we want half of this. You know, we know what it is. Right, they then say his name, he goes in, he shoots Boris, and he's like, give me the fucking diamond. And they're like, oh, we've put it back in the briefcase, which is fucking locked. And the only person that knows the combination is Frankie Fourfingers. So how has it gone from his fucking hand in the next room to back in the briefcase, locked with a combination that only fucking Frankie, Frankie Fourfingers has? It's bollocks. Absolute bollocks has happened I'm not going to lie. I'm with you on that. That's it's fucking the edited. Ago, the only person, the only person who's in there that knows the company. Wait, wait. Okay. So let me get this straight. You opened the case. You made him open the case. You opened the case. Yep. You took the diamond yep. out. You showed yep. Boris the diamond. You then thought, yep. you know what? Let's put it back on the it, hostages it, fucking case. And <laughs> Fred <Fremont> shut it. 
<laughs> in the six seconds after saying your name, I walked straight into the room, put it back in the briefcase, and locked the briefcase. <laughs> it's like, why? In a briefcase, I don't know the combination to. I'm going to put a diamond. It's like, fuck, fuck it. And it's still handcuffed. I'm going to is going to be Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that is a big piece bullshit. of bollocks. That's good. Bricktop tracks down Sol, Vinny, Tyrone, and their friend, Jamaican Yardie Bad Boy Lincoln, and plans on killing them for robbing his bookies. Sol bargains for their lives by offering Bricktop the stolen diamond and is given 48 hours to retrieve it. Can we talk about Bricktop and the Nemesis scene? Oh, man. That's... Yeah. That scene is just... Like, what I love is... Bricktop, through that entire scene, the only person who knows who he is is Bad Boy Lincoln, played by Goldie, funny enough, who, yeah. by sheer coincidence, lived near, next to my high school. He doesn't, the entire time, say who he is. You know that point where he opens the door, he's like, gentlemen, and he makes them walk through. It's just so translated. Like, it was just like... Yeah. Bricktop's demeanor was enough for them to be like, no, yeah, we can comply with whatever this guy's doing. Do you know what I mean? They've just fucking yeah. chopped someone's arm off and they're carrying the dead body. And that would obviously, that in itself, you think, would carry some fear or weight. But Bricktop literally just walks over it like it's a Sunday. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's freaking brilliant. Yeah. Like, it's such a good scene and such a good monologue and shows why Bricktop is Bricktop. I cannot think of a performance that can that doesn't convince me more that this person is is who they say they are the guy is a fucking yeah, yeah. menace his yeah. i don't know if it's like the glasses that magnify his eyes even the way he guns it's the way he guns with like his teeth you know like when he wants to prove a point he does that thing where he, he bears like his bottom teeth I mean, do you notice that yeah. he does that a lot throughout the film it's, oh, it's just so well done. There, there is more, you know, you guys know me and my brother pretty much speak our whole languages in film quotes. And um, we, I think Bricktop might be our most quotable character. And not just the lines that are in the film, but there are fucking outtakes that weren't even used. You know, deleted scenes. There's one where he, you, you know this because they use it in Snatch Wars. He says, I don't care where you go. You can fuck off to Tibet and I will have men Nutters from Parkhurst, <laughs> dressed in Yeti suits, up Everest, with meat cleavers, ready to chop your tarty fucking legs off. <laughs> like, what? Let's just dissect that sentence. <laughs> First of all, such... I will have oh, nutters God. from Parkhurst. So he's gonna he's gonna break out serial killers from fucking Parkhurst. Take, oh, if the person's gone to Tibet, he's gonna dress them up as in abominable snowmen, right? Because because that's where the, the oh Yeti is. <laughs> With meat cleavers. <laughs> You're on thin fucking ice, my pedigree chums. And I shall be under it when it breaks. So many quotes. So many quotes. But Bricktops are, are, are they're seminal. Like, you, they're, they're, you, you absolutely can use them in real life. When the, 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 the fights get thrown or they get messed up, Mickey messes them up. And those two guys, those two gangsters who obviously... Bricktop still shows him respect. He never goes at them. Do you know what I mean? He's like, yeah. He still shows him respect the entire time because he kind of sees him on, on, their le on his level. And then the fucking little dweeb guy comes in and he's like, mate. 
when I throw a jug of bone, I don't want to know where her fucking tits get. Like, you stop when I'm walking again, I'll cut your fucking Jacobs off. And he still cuts him anyway. Oh, mate. Fucking, yeah, man. Fucking brilliant. Avi and Doug hire Bullet Tooth Tony to help them find Frankie. When the trail leads to Boris, they kidnap him and retrieve the diamond while being closely pursued by Sol, Vinny, and Tyrone. Tony and Avi are confronted by Sol, Vinny, and Tyrone at a pub where Tony realizes the trio's pistols are replicas, which he contrasts with his real handgun, intimidating them into leaving. The wounded Boris arrives with an assault rifle and grenade launcher looking for the diamond but is shot and killed by Tony who wounds Tyrone at the same time. Sol and Vinny leave a wounded Tyrone and escape with the diamond which Vinny hides in his pants. When Tony catches up with them they tell him that the diamond is back at the pawn shop. Once there they produce the diamond but it is promptly swallowed by the dog that Vinny got from the Irish Traveller clan. Arvi wildly fires at the fleeing dog, accidentally kills Tony. He gives up and returns to New York City. Vinny Jones, do you doubt for a second he could fuck anyone up? Oh, mate, come on. What? No. That was... That, yeah. I don't even think that was... That, I don't I even think that did. was Bullet Tooth Tony. <laughs> I think they were like, Bullet Tooth Tony, yeah, just play Vinny Jones. Jones in this film. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. <laughs> They the, the, just f followed him around for two days. Seriously. Fucking hell. He didn't even know he was in a film. I've, I've forgotten <laughs> I've forgotten that the phrase penis comes from Bullet Tooth Tony. You <laughs> 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 oh, brilliant. I just love everything about his character. Um, when, you know the analogy of the dick and his two balls? It's so yeah. spot on. Oh. And he delivers Absolutely. it with real panache. And it's like... You know how he he's he he knows the second they come into the into the pub, and he and he just no sells yeah. it for the longest time. Like he doesn't yeah, give a shit. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. He's got them figured out before he's even seen them, and Brilliant. on top of that, he lets them go. That's how yeah. little he cares. That's yeah, how inconsequential they are. Yeah, yeah. He's like, just yeah. fuck off, will you? I've got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. 100%. I think he brings it in this film. You know, people say, "Yo, all he can do is play an a, all he can do is play a, a gangster or a thug." I'm like, "Yeah, what else is there? Well, what Absolutely. else does he need? If you do it right, what else do you need?" Seriously, um, he's he's not bricked up, but he's a pretty badass. Uh, he's not even a villain, is he? He's just uh, he, like I say, he's just, yeah, he he's just a pure bounty hunter. Yeah, he's, he's a nemesis. Mm. <laughs> Can I just say, I forgot to mention that in research for this podcast, I learned that Sean Connery was up for the part of Bricktop. Get no way. Yep. Out. He fucking ruined it. Like, like Brad Pitt, he saw Lockstock and was like, this is pretty good. And then he <laughs> went to speak to, Sh uh, to Guy Ritchie. Uh, I almost said Shane Ritchie. Um, <laughs> that would have been a different film as well. Um, yeah, he spoke to Guy Ritchie and, and Guy Ritchie told him what the budget was and he was like, no, you can't afford me. He's like, you came and saw me. Good. <laughs> yeah. God. Can you imagine him as Bricktop? Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't... I'm so glad he didn't. I mean, he would have... Um, he wouldn't have, have you heard of the word nemesis? <laughs> 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 the righteous singing of... That's, that's what I was, <laughs> I was trying to say. <laughs> I was trying to say he wouldn't change his accent for anything. Nemesis. Oh. <laughs> oh, you know, I reckon he would have probably brought his own thing to it. I reckon it definitely would have worked. You but it just wouldn't be walking again. Yeah, no. <laughs> 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 I'll cut the fucking chain cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
That's mm. that would make it would make me believe that Bricktop is a Highlander. <laughs> he's got the wisdom yeah, of centuries. That can be only one. That's why he's so good with pigs. <laughs> it's probably what he traded in so many hundreds of years ago. Mickey doesn't throw the fight. In fact, he knocks the guy out in a single punch. Bricktop robs Turkish of his life savings in revenge and demands Mickey fight again, and this time go down in the fourth round. Mickey refuses, so Bricktop burns down Mickey's mum's caravan with his mum still inside. So, Mickey's ma. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love right. the fact that they built up the mum the entire time. Mm. They do it yeah. throughout the duration of the film. So you kind of think if there was one person who didn't deserve it out of everyone in throughout yeah. the entire film, it was probably Mickey's mum. That's true. Yeah. But she comes up to me as one of those mums that thinks the sun shines out of her kid's ass, And to everyone else but that mum, it's blatantly obvious the kid's a fucking psycho. Now that Bricktop's taken Turkish's life savings, right, and he can't get Mickey to fight, he, you know, not let alone take a dive, um, what would you do in this situation? You're practically guaranteed that if you put Mickey in the ring, he's going to do the same thing again. He's going to fuck you. However, they're also up against... He says it. Turkish says they're up against an unhinged pig-feeding gangster and a wild fucking gypsy. Wild fucking gypsy, absolutely. Like, what... Could Turkish do, but just go with the flow? I quite like that scene. Yeah. Sorry, what did you say? I quite like that scene between Tommy and Turkish, where, you know, Tommy's like, he's like, you seem a little moist. You seem to be sweating from your work. And he's just like, of course I fucking am. He's like, why are you calm? He's like, what are we going to do? He's like, what's going to happen? Then we get fed to pigs. There's no other outcome right here. So fucking hell, go with the flow. It is brilliant. I agree, but at this point in the story, I'm starting to not like Turkish because he is bringing so much of this plot on himself, right? He, he is the one that sends Tommy to the traveler's site. How he got hold of their details is beyond me, but it was definitely not the sensible thing to do. He wants a new caravan. He wants it for under 10 grand. I'd say 15 grand minimum if you want one that works, as evidently the one that they did buy doesn't work. He blames everyone but himself for like these stupid yep. decisions 100 percent. i quite like i quite one thing that, that's probably quite evident about turkish the whole thing is again despite his demeanor he probably is well under his station that means he's, he's punching well above his weight i think really he knows that throughout the whole fucking film i agree and it's more it's more kind of given the given the the impression or just if anything, kind of living up, almost that you know that whole that whole scene where it's like um, act as if. I don't think really it was just him acting as if. Oh, you know more about caravans because you spent a summer in one, so obviously that means you know more than me. So here's ten grand. Go go meet some <laughs> fucking pikeys. Get get a fucking caravan and some change would be nice. Are you fucking mad? Seriously, what? <laughs> Tommy. Tommy has got a fake gun. Because he wants to protect himself from the Germans. <laughs> Get fucking lost. That, is, that, is, that, for me, sums up Turkish completely. Mickey agrees to fight to avoid more carnage, but gets so drunk after his mother's wake that Turkish fears he will not make it to the fourth round. If he fails to go down as agreed, Bricktop vows that his men will murder Turkish, Tommy, Mickey, and his entire clan of travelers. After arriving to the fight, Mickey makes to the fourth round when he suddenly knocks out his opponent. 
Outside the arena, as Tommy, Turkish and Mickey try to run for their lives, Bricktop and his men are all killed by the travellers. Mickey secretly had been betting on himself to win and waited until the fourth round to allow his clansmen time to avenge his mother by ambushing and killing Bricktop and his men. The next morning, Turkish and Tommy find the travelling campsite deserted as Mickey and his clan have escaped with their winnings. When confronted by the police, they cannot explain why they are there until Vinny's dog suddenly arrives and they claim to be walking it. Sol and Vinny are arrested when the police find Frankie and Tony's bodies in their car. Turkish and Tommy take the dog to a veterinarian to extract a squeaky toy that it had swallowed and discover the diamond in its stomach as well. They consult Doug about selling the diamond and he calls Arvi who returns to London to purchase it. And that, my friends, is the story of Snatch. Pretty much exactly that. Seriously, because like the, the first and second acts, like, you know, there's so much intercutting, so much is going on, so many characters. Obviously, they, you know, as we mount, as we have that rising tension and we're mounting towards the third act, sure, a lot of characters get killed off and plots are going to converge on each other. But I just felt like we, the third act was a different movie altogether. It was just so, like, to the point. Not, to, you, not to say that it doesn't do a great job of keeping us informed of the stakes the entire time. There is always the threat of death, always the threat of dismemberment. Yeah immolation um the whole film lives and dies by not only our ability to care about what happens to turkish and tommy but inexplicably mickey as well because yeah. otherwise there are no stakes yeah and it kind of justifies the violence yeah. uh from the pikes as well like 100 percent. especially they've done they've done pretty well to build up brick top where when he does get shot in the face you're just kind of like oh yeah cool <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not like a. There's, you, you've almost kind of separated a bit of the humanity from Bricktop when he, by the time he gets shot. Hmm. So yeah, it's kind of the it's the it's the it's the clean ending that you kind of want, really. But, but so, at the same time, with as what as always runs through these Guy Ritchie films, kind of the human how it works out in the end, is is kind of a big thread throughout the entire film. Um, yeah, that's true. I, well, you, you know, you just mentioned uh, Bricktop gets shot in the face. Uh, you also mentioned that it happens off screen. I that happened to everyone, didn't it? Tony, Boris, that's what I said. Yep. They, they never show anyone getting shot in is, the entire is that, film. Is that a budgetary thing, or do you think it's a stylistic choice? I'm sorry. I mean, uh, you probably know better than me. SFX when it comes to blood getting shot and stuff like that. I'm guessing again. One of the things we know about uh, violence. Or violent scenes is getting the continuity correct and doing it over and over again is difficult. So if something goes wrong or they don't do it, it's probably easier to show and get shot off screen and not having to worry about that <laughs> and not having would, would the it also up or anything. Affect the um, the age rating if you show violence rather than suggest violence. Well, there is a lot of violence. The, the, it is it is a violent film. Uh, I just. But I, I suppose, I guess, 20 yeah. Years ago, to show someone get beheaded or have their arm, you know, removed, they even sort of skimmed over that because he's got it wrapped in newspaper. So, it, it, I think gore violence, you know, like gore horror, uh, like hostile and things like that, started coming bigger way after this when I think it started yeah, becoming more yeah, acceptable. Whereas in these films, I don't think you showed that. And uh, like Anson said, I think budget trying to do it and do it well. It's really hard or really expensive. So it might be a mix of both. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it was a 15 uh, when it came out. And 15s are nothing now. 15 is like 
barely a flesh wound. But back in 2015 suggested strong violence, didn't it? Uh, nudity, um, strong language. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Wasn't it drugs that push it up to 18? I can't yeah, remember which maybe. way around it is. I think suicide as well. Or like, or if you have drugs and violence. I can't remember if it's a mix of the two it becomes 18. But... Well, I mean, combine the two, for goodness sake. I'm an adventurous guy. <laughs> Put your hands together. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, we talk. We 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 haven't talked enough actually about you know how we how we saw the the film before and after. But one thing that strikes me is that I I loved that final boxing match back in the day. But when I look at it now, it's don't get me wrong. I love the editing of the film. It's like an Edgar Wright showreel in terms of the stylized cutting. But the final fight does some really unexplainable cuts, right? The uppercut near the end of the fight. The other fighter is nowhere near Mickey at the time of the punch from where the camera is, right? Then yeah, there's this yeah. very, very odd directional decision to use a visual cue. It's a metaphor of Mickey hitting a body of water. And he's being submerged by this heavy blow of the uppercut, right? But there was no context to that motif. Nowhere else in the movie did they use that kind of visual representation. Not in any of the other fights. If Mickey had a history of concussions and they had somehow established that when he is concussed he feels like he's sinking into an abyss that would make sense but here it just seems like a showy out of place device i i took it that it's because mickey was meant to be champion knuckle fighter that he was experiencing like him that's why it was falling into the water that might have been something fresh or new for him okay but however so, however you you contextualize the the metaphor it's not like they done anything like the, you don't you don't you generally introduce a new thematic device in the third act i quite liked it i definitely sort of it sort of showed it made me believe that he might not win that fight the whole reason why it got to that round wasn't because mickey was adhering to what they wanted he was giving his people time and then eventually when time was done he rose above it and just ended the fight but at what point was he kind of under like why did the water go with that? i don't know i don't know makes me think that there may have been more scenes like that that they either left on the cutting room floor yeah absolutely or they couldn't film due to budgetary time restraints that's, yeah. that's i honestly thought. thought they did it because it made you well it made me believe that he had lost at that point that is like right this is happening it hasn't happened yet in the film you know i, I think of it had happened before and he got up or got out of it it would have diluted it so unless they were going for him being unconscious permanently the quick characterization has got to be like up there in the top 10. Immediately when you meet Bricktop, he's identified as ruthless. You know, yeah. you're a ruthless little cuntly, and I'll give you that, but I've got no time for grasses, all right? Yeah. Uh, Tommy is a tit with a gun. Immediately, it's ca he, yeah. you've got his character down. Turkish is long-suffering. Tyrone is a moron. Frankie has his head in the clouds. Doug, well, he takes a laissez-faire approach and sort of stays in the background. Um, you know, he plays like the Steve Buscemi, Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs kind of role. Like, I, I just, I, the snappy characterization is something that humbles me as someone who likes to think that they, that, you know, someone who likes writing and trying to come up with characters that are instantly um, recognizable, uh, memorable, and also, uh, you know, you, you get a, a real sense of, of who they are right away. Like, this, this film is inspiring. I think that's one thing that Guy Ritchie's great at. That, that intro scene, which is very, think about it, it's very, very, very old school. 
to show a character, put their name and, and, and the background and, that, and, and to show who it is. First of all, you straight away know who everyone is and he's managed to kind of capture that person in literally one frame. As in, you know the type of person he is, like you said, Bricktop, under, under, underground ruthless warlord. Um, Boris, the blade. Uh, Doug, doesn't give a shit. She's there for the diamonds. Avi, all there just about the money. Just, it, I, you just got that feel from, from everyone. It was brilliant. It was really, really well done. And, but, but here's the stylistic thing, or here's the really good thing about it. The way he did that was the scene leading up to that picture gave you an identity of who that person was. Like you see Gorgeous George punching the bag and he punches it and he punches it and it stops. But then you see Tommy holding the bag. He's holding it and then he, and then he drops it. Do you know what I mean? And then it stops. It's, it's really well done. The introduction, the introduction of characters is like, I think Guy Ritchie does that really well. He manages characters so well in his films. What did we think of Brad Pitt's accent? At the time, I thought, I mean, this is, look, Brad Pitt is, um, he always, at the time, he was picking interesting roles, right? He was in Seven, uh, he was in Californication, he was in Twelve Monkeys, uh, he was in Fight Club, of course, and he was picking uh, these roles because he wanted to do them, not because his agent was telling him to do them. Um, he sought out Guy Ritchie and asked for this role. He watched Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and said, I need to do a film with you. Um, and I love the character, but I'm sorry, he takes me out of the film now. Now I watch it, it's... He's a... he's a Brad Pitt is... Look, he's an absolute babe, right? He's a pretty boy. Mickey was raised to be a bare-knuckle boxing champion in a travelling community. We see the lifestyle he leads. He does more than burn the candle at both ends. Could they not have dirtied up his teeth? And yes, he is funny, but he's not speaking cant. He's not speaking uh, as... I know that's part of the joke, is that you can't understand what he's saying, but... I think they kind of played off that quite well. And to be fair, I was, I was expecting, and again, maybe I was being forgiven, I was expecting to listen to it. Because obviously, you know how many times we, we joke, literally walk around, do you like Dax? And I literally <laughs> remember thinking, okay, it's probably not going to hold up. And I was like, ah, I could, I could probably let it slide. But again, I don't know whether or not that's just me being romantic about I, how I remember it. Does that make sense? I, I absolutely love the accent on my Brad Pitt when we first into it I think it still holds up and it's probably because one of the experiences I had when I was working uh, in a supermarket and someone came up to me and asked me he said something like um, how are you I was like what He's like, how are you and I was like it, it, it really was like the film going up I was like me being like sorry I can't understand I was like oh how high am I how tall am I and it's like he's like yeah how tall are you it's like what? How are you? <laughs> like, I mean, it made sense afterwards, and I think that is like how me accept the accent by Brad Pitt. But I can forgive the accent. The accent's not what takes me out of it. I, I still think that the he's it's Brad Pitt, and he's playing a bare knuckle boxer who I mean just just through the uh, you know the fast cut montages where you see all the the excess that he's living. Like his teeth should be falling out. He should have bags under his eyes he should have scars everywhere um clearly he's doing have a broken nose yeah i just it it took it i couldn't get it out of my head but i did obviously years ago just it flew right over me i was just like yeah man this guy is fucking hardcore i was thinking this just uh, as i was driving home for the to get to get to this podcast um 
recently Jimmy Carr, right? He had that joke, where, uh, the Holocaust joke, where he said, um, yeah, six million Jews' uh, lives became lost um, in Nazi Germany or the Nazi war machine, whatever the quote was. He goes, but they never mentioned the thousands of gypsies that were killed by the Nazis because no one ever wants to talk about the positives, right? <laughs> now, that, that, that film got, it nearly got him, sorry, that joke nearly got him cancelled. 20 years ago, that joke would not have even hit anyone's radar. And the depiction of uh, travellers, and if you want to call them gypsies, although, uh, as I said, I don't think they are exclusively uh, gypsies, then this film probably wouldn't come out today. Yeah, there's a, like you said, xenophobia is rife throughout that. Um, like I said, it's almost, it's, 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 uh, it's almost like a comedic sounding board. The whole point is he's kind of making fun of the xenophobia. But would people take that or would they understand that now? I mean, the, 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 literally, the amount of colloquial terms used to describe someone by their station or race or ethnicity or whatever, nationality, is, is ridiculous. Avi has so many ways to call Russian. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, un it's unbelievable. And it's like, would, would, you allow, would they allow that joke now? Or would they understand that? The whole point is it's making fun of the fact that all the xenophobia means nothing when it, it, at the end of the day, like I said, the quote-unquote fucking pikeys were the ones who won in the end. Everyone hated them. They won. Yeah, they were the smartest ones. They outsmarted everyone. They were the smartest everyone. ones out of all of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and again, Turkish keeps saying it's because no one understands them. I'm Absolutely. saying it's because no one's listening. Exactly. Exactly that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think I, I imagine this film was written when it was written. What twenty years ago? You said it came out two thousand. Two thousand. Two thousand. So the 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 influence and the writing on Guy Ritchie from that time would have been his experiences the ten or twenty years before that. So already when this film came out, I like to think of it that it was already sort of outdated with the way people spoke or talk, but you could still relate to sort of that era. Mm. This coming out now, no, it doesn't represent. Like, and that you would have to put a timestamp on it, like 90s London or something. Wow, that's a really good if, point. If you tried to accept yeah. that this was a film coming out now, you'd be like, that's not London. That's not. Yeah. You know. why, why do you think Snatch was such. Um, why did it capture the zeitgeist of, of that time so well? Uh, could you explain what a zeitgeist is, please? <laughs> yeah, it's a growth. Like something that would haunt me. Yeah, it's it's, it's a growth, usually on the penis. I, think, I, believe, I, believe, it was, I believe it was an Evil Dead 2. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's about to attack the Enterprise. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you know what you say after someone sneezes? Zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Gesundheit? <laughs> Oh god. Um Zeitgeist is the um it's the spirit of a particular time in history. So uh South Park captured this the Zeitgeist of the late nineties profanity and mm. yeah. Okay. So why was it so good? <laughs> is what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the the playing into the stereotypes and making those stereotypes look somewhat like they uh, I don't want to say positive. Positive it, isn't the right <laughs> word, but it makes you relatable and makes you kind of um, connect to a lot of the characters. 
uh like you say it's the lack of the communication where they're just not speaking i think that causes most issues all the people that are absolute arseholes or just outright murderers mainly brick top get killed so it's kind of like they get their comeuppance so yeah but then uh soul and his crew also get um fucked you got to you got to uh assume that they they all get done from first degree murder yeah absolutely for me the one theme throughout uh, and this is probably where we'll debate. Um, th- this unites the whole film. I mean, there's a lot of characters, um, and it's all spliced up, you know, uh, just like films of a similar style did before it, like Pulp Fiction did, and then Do the Right Thing did before that. Um, but in terms of an overall theme, right, you can't... It's pretty clear to me, and it's ingenious, that the film is about miscommunication, yeah. None of these fucking characters understand each other. Yeah. If you, if they all maybe just sat down in a room, perhaps, but really when you break it down and you compartmentalize it, you've got a yardie, you've got a moron, Tyrone, you've got a cockney, you've got gangsters, you've got Americans, you've got petty crooks, Irish travelers, Russians, and wherever the fuck Frankie's meant to be from. Um, <laughs> it, 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 even uh, as you say about the uh, chef who's like, Two minutes, two minutes, Turkish. She's like, well, it was, it was two minutes, five minutes ago. You know, um, you can't understand what Brad Pitt is saying. They keep going over that fact in the narration. You know, Mickey says it with um, George. He's like, no one brings a fellow the size of him unless they're trying to say something. Everything yeah. is about miscommunication in this film. Yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. Funny thing is, you mentioned that, and I say I actually watched it with subtitles, and. Um, there are certain parts in the subtitles where Mickey starts talking, they just stop. <laughs> the subtitles literally yeah. just stop. Yeah, <laughs> I know the on, on my one, it says inaudible, like intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was brilliant. Uh, your, yours is a lot uh, better than mine. Mine just said, fuck it, I'm not reading this. <laughs> <laughs> and that does it for the recap. I'm thinking now's the time to dish out some scores for our first ep. Yep, that works with me. Each of us must give a score out of 10 with a maximum score of 30. And you've noted throughout, I hope, that we have thrown out a particular set of cards labelled as bollocks. These are inexcusable instances in the movie, um, shortcomings, inconsistencies, etc., that were we just can't laugh them off, and therefore we're forced to penalise. Uh, Each of us can throw a maximum of three bollocks cards per movie, uh, and they will collectively be deducted after we give our scores. You'll also hear us throw out a myriad of other awards, ranging from the Avengers Initiative, where we decide on a hero of the film, all the way down to the Wilfred Award, where we have zero concept of time. To be fair, we're probably adding a load of other random awards as we go along. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I don't know why we we always do that. We always we've always done that. We've always just like given out awards that are completely and totally irrelevant. The Wilfred Award will uh will explain when appropriate. Um but if anyone's seen the show starring Elijah Wood, you'll know what we're talking about. I'm waiting for the Shamalamalam Award. The Shamalamalam Award. Yes. Yeah. A completely unnecessary twist. So these awards don't actually amount to anything at all. They're purely just for fun, unlike the bullets cards, which actually do reduce the points. Anton, let's start with you. What do you rate Snatch out of 10? So, watching Snatch back, I think, yeah, it holds up. The film holds up. Like, the dialogue, 
is incredible, still incredible. We use it all the time. We used it so many times during uni. We still use it now. We still make jokes about it. We still talk about minerals. It's, it, it just holds up and it just works. Um, it's kind of the classic, it's kind of just, it just, it's just that classic kind of English gangster movie where it captures a lot of the things that are still kind of very much UK, if that makes sense. And I've got to admit, I still enjoyed watching it as much now as I did back then. So I'm going to go with a 8.5. Mm. I like how you said it's quintessentially English, you know, gangsters feeding people to pigs. Absolutely. Irish travellers. Yeah, of course. Dogs. Do you like dogs? Dogs. Dogs. All right. Oh, dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like dogs. Uh, All right, I'll go next, and I will cut uh, the bullshit and tell you exactly why, in my opinion, this movie still kicks ass. I've carried around a top 10 list in my head since 2000 and... I'd say ever since I saw Jurassic Park in the cinema in 1993. <laughs> um, I... Wow. Yeah, I'm a loser. I adore this film. I think that the dialogue, as Anton said, is quintessential. I use a snatch quote, if not if not weekly monthly you know and i won't even realize i'm doing it no, like i will agree. say you bet your bollocks to a barn dance like i, I will do it i completely uh, agree with that and if not i would might i'd probably say you know I, I could i could be sarcastic and think oh, i'll just get the binoculars out you know i <laughs> even even just to say you silly fat bastard i mean i say it to ian all the time <laughs> <laughs> so not just based on the dialogue, but I, I think the performances, the zeitgeist, uh, the um, the era, the memories. Uh, and I know it's not about the memories. I know that we're supposed to, um, you know, think how, how does this function now as a film as opposed to when we were students. But still, uh, it brings back a lot of nostalgia for me. I think Brad Pitt kicks ass. And I think that it's probably still the best Guy Ritchie film out there and i'm gonna give it an 8.5 out of 10 nice nice yeah and um i really enjoyed watching this film uh again uh it has honestly been a while since i've last seen it it's a film i always love watching and have watched many 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 times um i I think you both have said already about the dialogue uh standing out I think the the characters' reactions uh, you can really uh, relate to. The way people talk, even the guy being dragged down the street by his tie out the window when he's like, oh, come on, mate, and whatnot. Like, I think it kind of, it has like that homely feel, despite oh. being this crazy oh, gangster homely. story. <laughs> oh, yeah. We all got dragged by our, we all got dragged by our ties. <laughs> hey, man, I grew up in London, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> That was a that was a good day, <laughs> but brilliant. I I think a lot of people in 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 the movie, excluding the extreme gangsters, I think you can relate to at least some of the accents or the way people talk, or um, just some of the the common sayings, which was great to see in a film that actually had a really uh, the plot lines overlapping. There was so much going on, and it all comes together really nicely. So really enjoyed the film. Um, 
I think as I've got older, it's probably not as I, I used to absolutely love this, like watch fixated and not so much now, but I definitely enjoyed watching it again uh, for the first time in a long time. So it's going to get a solid eight from me. Solid eight. I like it. You know how you said that there's a character for everyone to relate to. Yeah, the sausage Tony. No, <laughs> I was going to say, do you relate to? Back to us. I was going to say, do you relate to Liam because he's a ruthless little cunt? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right. Spot on. Uh, well, you know, we have a top ten list, and it's going to grow. But right now, as it's our first episode, Snatch takes the top spot, and you know, it deserves it. I mean, it Solid. just blew away all the competition. Solid. Oh Solid. yeah, absolutely. Definitely the best one, at least so far. However. It doesn't get away. <laughs> Sorry, I just realised what you said. Um, <laughs> I put I'm my own game. You got me. Um, it doesn't get away completely unscathed because it's in 25 out of 30. However, uh, we've already explained the bollocks card system. There were two bollocks cards thrown: one by Anton and one by Ian. That cuts down the score to 23 out of 30. So, Snatch takes top with 23 out of 30. Solid. Solid performance. There's a a lot of room left there then. Okay. The way that we picked our first movie was by consensus, and that was Snatch. We always, from this point on, will do it in the following fashion. So the way this works is that we have pulled together sound bites from many individual movies that we watched together over the years and converted them into MP3 files. My wife Lauren has diligently renamed each file with a number. So I, nor Ian, nor Anton have any idea which file is which. I will ask one of you to pick a number, and that number will be played, and the clip will be revealed, and we will find out what our next movie is, along with you, the listening audience. So, without any further ado, Ian, are you ready to pick your number? Number 15. Number 15. 15. Uh, Let's see what is behind door 15. What a choice! What a choice! Oh dear! What a choice! I have no idea what that film is. Kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Meet the Spartans. Absolutely. I'd prefer it. No, uh, this was one. This, I'll be honest. This is one I was worried about because I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. I loved it. You know, I did. I truly, truly loved it. Uh, let's see. There's, yeah, there's there's hundred percent some things to consider this time round, but there's three hundred things. To I consider. can't, I can't, I can't, I may, I can't deny the, the first, at least the first times I've watched it, or the few times I've watched it, or the first few times I've watched it. Sorry, not few times I've watched it quite a bit actually. Yeah, it's always been a, it's always been a favourite. So for episode two, there you have it. It's going to be three hundred, a far cry from Snatch. I'll tell you that. And that about wraps things up for our first episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And please, if you did, hit that subscribe button and leave a generous review so we can start taking over the world. In the meantime, let me thank my co-host, Anton. Shut up and sit down, you big bald fuck. Thank you. And Ian. (laughs) No thank you, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. Until next week, remember, your futures haven't been written yet. No one's has. Your next movie is whatever you make it. So make it a good one.